Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and today I'm speaking with Martin Rosser, the portfolio manager of the Allium Market Neutral Fund. This is a fund that's an alternate asset class that looks to provide investors with returns of between 10 to 15% each year net through the cycle in a very uncorrelated market neutral way. I think it's really interesting the way they go about doing this, and I think you'll find it a really interesting podcast. Martin fits into the category of many of the managers that we've featured on the podcast who have been really star performers for investment banks before stepping out on their own and and starting their own strategy. Martin managed the same strategy for Morgan Stanley over a nine-year period, um, in which time the strategy returned 14.5% per annum to investors. Please remember, the podcast is not designed to be, nor is it, personal financial advice. We encourage people to listen to the disclaimer and always seek advice prior to making any investments. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast. That helps us out. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Martin Rosser, welcome to Inside the Rope. Good to be here. Martin, perhaps you could start off and give our listeners a bit of uh, background as to yourself uh, and and what you do. Yeah, to start from the very beginning, um, um, I'm one of four boys, actually, and uh, we all took our own directions in life. Um, one of my brothers is a minister of the church. Another one is a, is a professional drummer for a band called Wolf Mother. So um, I've always spent my entire life living in his shadow. Even when I have a good month, people are more interested in, um, in searching for YouTubes of him playing with the Foo Fighters and things like that. So, uh, uh, yeah, I come from a diverse family background, and uh, I sort of made my way through an economics degree at Sydney University, ended up as a foreign exchange dealer at Citibank. And, uh, and that sort of really explains sort of the, the top-down background I come from, um, very much macroeconomic driven with the way I look at the world. Yeah, and then um, I guess I sort of got, found I was getting a bit bogged down in Forex and I, I really wanted to move into the world of equities because I find that I found that equities is a way that you can express yourself, uh, express your ideas through a far you know, wider range of securities. And that's when I left um, the world of foreign exchange and moved to London, uh, where I worked for Morgan Stanley. And then in 2005, I sort of ended up becoming a proprietary trader for Morgan Stanley. And just for our listeners, what what does that actually mean as a proprietary trader? Yep. So um, being a a proprietary trader or prop trader, as as people um, refer to them, is, is when you're managing the bank's capital. And when you're managing the bank's capital, there's a few sort of key things you need to do is one, you don't worry about what the index has done, if it's up or down. Um, You're you're trying to make absolute um, dollars for your employer. Uh, And so uh, perhaps by way of explaining sort of my DNA is uh, when I come into the office, I'm trying to make returns in any market conditions. And I'm trying to make those um, returns through through liquid stocks. And, And that's because the other thing you can't tell your boss when you're a proprietary trader is um, I'm losing money on something and I can't get out of it. So liquidity and um, non-directional alpha has always been uh, the key tenets of, um, of my upbringing in, in markets. Non-directional alpha, just drill into that and explain that a little bit to our listeners if you could please. 
Yep, so a lot of um, strategies that are uh, market um, focused are uh, relying on the market going up over time to make money. Um, you might find something that's that's correlated to the market but has a higher beta to the market. So um, if the market goes up 10%, that stock goes up 30%. Um, with uh, what I call an alpha-driven or non-directional strategy is you're trying to think about the things that um, uh, will go down as well as up, securities that are losing value, sectors or themes um, that are falling, uh, losing their share of the economy, at the same time as you're trying to work out who the winners are. Uh, and from that, you can form a portfolio of long and short positions mm -hmm. that doesn't rely on the market going either up or down to make returns over time. So Martin, I think it's fascinating that you emphasize the difference of being a prop trader and working for a bank where they just wanted to make money mm -hmm. in all conditions, um, in, as, as if somehow that's different to a client or an end user in many investment funds. Um, I think that highly resonates with a lot of clients where you know, they, they don't see the value or merit in, in, in a lot of cases of a relative return manager who comes to them and says, look, I, I outperformed the index last month. I did really well. The index went down 10, I only went down six. Um, hooray, isn't that fantastic? So just an interesting side point there. So talk to us a little bit about what you do now and, and who Allium is and, and what the market neutral fund is that you're running and how, how did that come about? Yep, so um, I ended up uh, working in Morgan, at Morgan Stanley for about 12 years as a proprietary trader and um, had a, a very good track record there. Ended up um, making positive returns in all of those years I was at Morgan Stanley. And then the, the time came um, to do something for myself, uh, a fund, and Morgan Stanley very kindly offered to support me as, as what's known as a prime broker for any fund I would care to run. And so I've, the strategies I've always followed, as we talked about before, has been a very market neutral strategy, has been trying to uh, make returns in all market conditions. Um, there, I met up with some other, um, uh, three other people, some of them I'd known from the market, uh, who'd started a company called Allium. Uh, there's another fund within that within that um, funds management group called the Alpha Fund, mm -hmm. which is a um, sort of basically long only, smaller cap uh, focused fund. And so there was really no crossover with my strategy, and but together we've got the uh, resources of having uh, seven professionals now in the firm, and the um, you know the, and sharing the operational and analytical. Um, staff to some extent. And you get to share the operation expense of compliance and marketing and office space to leverage that as well. Exactly. exactly. And actually one of the really interesting things about the, the Alpha Fund, the Allium Alpha Fund, is a lot of the smaller companies they're um, meeting with and investing in are disruptors. So mm -hmm. they're companies that are disrupting you know, banking, we've got neobanks coming in, um, ag tech uh, a whole bunch of industries. And so I often sit on those meetings, not because I'm going to invest in those companies with my fund, they're, they're way too illiquid, um, but because uh, they teach me a lot about the big cap world and the world of big business and what's going to change within that. And what's going on. And that, that uh, scenario you talked about, like a, a large global uh, investment bank, uh, you know, spawning out these smaller funds management groups and that, that, that's a well 
trodden path. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'd agree. Uh, so talk to us about the, the market neutral fund. Um, what size is the fund? Yeah, the market neutral fund is uh, $40 million in size. Um, it's been going for just over two years now. Um, and we have um, three full-time staff on the fund, myself and, and two analysts. And talk to us about what it does and how it seeks to provide returns to clients. And, and what sort of returns is it trying to provide? What, what is it, what's its objective, for instance? Mm. The objective of the fund is to return over a sort of three to five year period in the range of 10 to 15% um, after all fees um, with, with very little um, drawdowns. So it's, it, the aim of the fund is to protect the investor's capital as well. And that's, for me, the core of being market neutral, being properly beta neutral, is that the fund seeks to generate returns as much, if not more, in down and volatile markets. And um, by way of example, last year, 2018, the fund returned over 17% in what was um, you know, a, a, a quite a weak year for financial markets. Now, many of our listeners are people who have created independent wealth through businesses, so they might be very good at widget factories or XYZ service, but wealth management and some of the subtleties around long, short, etc., may, may not be that familiar with them. So if you could perhaps talk about the mechanics of how that works and maybe cite some examples. Yes, I mean, so um, short selling is, um, is when you borrow stock from someone, so you don't actually own that stock and then you sell it in the market. So when you expect that stock to go down in value, i.e. you yep. don't like its prospects going forward, you think it's going to go down and therefore you can profit out of that position. Exactly. So um, last year, and it's something I was, uh, I'll talk about a bit later, but um, to give one of the biggest company in the world, the, the funder was short Apple for a period of time. Um, and that was uh, around a theme that the use of uh, smartphones was peaking and the replacement cycle was lengthening and, and, and that position worked well for a while. So um, what we did was we uh, found a lender of Apple and most big long-only funds, for example, um, with their Black Rocks or Fidelities will lend out their stock because they get a little bit of extra return on it and mm-hmm. they know they're going to be holders of that stock for a period of time. Particularly with the rise of ETFs, mm. they're having to hold these, right? Yes, of course. So there's always a pool of, 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 of borrow available, a stock that, mm-hmm. that, that um, long-short funds can borrow to, to hedge or to, to try and derive alpha. Mm-hmm. And so with Apple, you know, we uh, borrowed the stock, shorted it. Um, they had a downgrade because of the uh, uh, sort of slower sales of iPhones. And then you cover it. And then you say, which covering it, I mean, you buy the stock back in the market at a lower price. So you've made the difference. Say we sold it at 200 and bought it back at 150. You've made $50 per share on that on that position. Um, and you return the stock to the, um, to, to the lender. Now... It's interesting, the risk and return isn't quite the same profile as a long-only investor or a traditional investor that will buy Apple on the expectation that it's going to go up on value, up in value because they're going to create new products and grow their business, their revenue, etc. Mm-hmm. For instance, if they're buying that at $250, it can go to 1000 it can go to 10000 it's unlimited as it can go up. However, it can only go down 
from its position you buy it down to, to zero, correct? So it's, it's not a symmetrical risk return. I'm glad you asked that, David, because the, the science mechanics and ability to short sell and to run a short book is very different from that of a long book. And I think what a lot of um, people who come from a long-only background or analysts by, by, by profession, by trade, uh, do is they have a model that spits out the long with the most upside and the, the stock with the least upside, and they go long one and short the other. Mm -hmm. And um, with short selling, typically uh, those ideas have a, a more limited duration. They're often sh shorter in nature. Sometimes a good short position will only be of uh, you know a few weeks um, in duration. Because as you point out, the risk is that a company can always be um, taken out or taken over, um, or you can get what's called a short squeeze, which is when a lot of other people have the same idea as you and all decide to, to cover their shorts or, or buy the stock back at the same time. So there are very different mechanics to um, and mindset involved in running um, a short portfolio. And we've spoken to some managers on this podcast before who run similar market neutral, but they tend to be more of a pairs trading where they might identify a Qantas and a Virgin and, and you know, they, they sort of say, well, one's a better quality than the other, so we'll take advantage of that disparity uh, growing between them over time or them coming back together. Um, I take it your strategy is totally separate where your longs and your shorts can be totally unrelated to each other. Is that correct? Exactly. Um, so to take a step back, there's a traditional world of, of funds management, which we alluded to when you have a portfolio manager mm -hmm. and um, working with him or her is are a bunch of um, sector analysts and they'll cover banks, they'll cover healthcare, they'll cover uh, miners. And so a long only manager might take the best bank stock, the best mining stock, the best healthcare stock, et cetera. They've created basically what's a market portfolio, but hopefully if their picks are just a bit better, they'll eke out a little bit of extra return, a bit of alpha um, against the market. Mm -hmm. Then you have a traditional uh, market neutral fund where the portfolio manager says to their analyst, what's your favorite miner, for example, and they say, oh, that's BHP, and what's your least favorite uh, mining stock? Oh, that's Rio Tinto. And so you pair that up and you try and get the gains between those. Now, my view is those sectors are almost arbitrarily created, is uh, some sectors, um, uh, for example, if you look at transportation as a sector now, what we're looking at in the future, or future mobility, does involve cars, does involve which is one sector, the automobile sector, involves technology. If you look at what Uber's trying to do or autonomous driving, it involves toll roads, it involves petrol stations. So the themes in the market encompass much more than just one sector. And so um, doing intra-sector pair trades, firstly, to get returns on that, you need a lot more leverage behind those funds. So those funds that are doing buying um, uh, BHP and selling Rio Tinto and then buying ANZ and selling NAB or, or whatever, they require often three, four, five hundred percent gearing leverage behind those to get their returns, and and those funds can often have quite volatile returns because of that 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 gearing. That gearing, so everything can go really right or everything can go, go really, really wrong. wrong. And and we see that in some of those returns. 
but when you have a thematic approach to the market where if I think um, um, I want to be, if I think there's going to be a, a Chinese stimulus, for example, and it's a good time to own the miners and there's a good cost control within the group, for example, then for me, it's difficult to say, well, I just want to do a pair within that space because you're betting on one outperforming the other. But if the whole sector is going to outperform or the whole theme is going to outperform, uh, we want the fund to be onto that theme mm -hmm. um, rather than um, selling away returns. Now, Martin, you mentioned gearing there uh, mm. in, in often used in market neutral mm. uh, strategies. Do you have gearing within your strategy? And if so, how much and how does that work? So the, the typical... Uh, gearing of the Allium market neutral fund would be between about 150 and 200%. Now, now that sounds a lot to most people mm. um, and most investors. They would say, mm. well, gee, that's going to increase risk. That's going to make it volatile. Um, you know, I'm looking for something not volatile. I'm looking for something that diversifies traditional equities, traditional mm. growth assets. Okay. Well, if you think about it this way, uh, if you're long only funds are much riskier than market neutral funds. And the reason I say that is because if you have a fund that is just long, uh, let's say it gives the BHP example, and it's long 100% BHP, it's got one stock. And then you gear at 200% is means that $100 in the fund, you turn into $200 long position in BHP. Mm -hmm. If BHP halves, then your capital is gone because you've lost $100, you know, $100 on that position. If you're a market neutral fund, you're long 100 of some things and you're short 100 of some things. If the market halves, then hopefully, you sh if your shorts have halved, your longs have halved or even gone down um, less than that and you've made a, a, a return. So in market neutral investing, you can take more leverage in the fund because you're not taking market risk. So that draws us to a great attraction to this asset class or this type of strategy, which is uncorrelated risk. And you know, you've got a lot of people at the moment talking about you know record highs and markets trading and mm. other people explaining well you've got very low cost of capital so trading at record highs makes sense um, people saying well you know last time we said uh, but this time's different it always ends up the same way so a lot of people are very nervous that the cycle is long in the tooth and are concerned about that and are, are really looking for sources of return given interest rates and term deposits are so low, but also not wanting to take huge equity exposure. Are those the type of people you see very attracted to this strategy? Yes. I think that most funds in the market have some kind of um, correlation to the market. Most funds out there are, are, are correlated uh, to the performance of assets and most people's wealth is correlated to the performance of equities, bonds, property, but generally as we've seen recently, they can all go up at once and, and they can all go down at once. And so, uh, for example, in the last four months of last year, uh, the Allium Market Neutral Fund returned positive 8% when markets generally were down around 10% uh, in that period. And so I had a lot of investors call me and say, wow, I got nine other statements from fund managers and they're all losing money in that period and, and your fund had a, an uncorrelated return, it made a positive return during that period. So I think this fund is, is uncorrelated to, to the market, and indeed most other funds in the market, um, and as such warrants a place in an investor's portfolio. And I think if I'm right, the track record has been strong when you're running that strategy with the same 
strategy rules and mandate uh, at Morgan Stanley as a proprietary trader. I think the, the compound annual growth rate uh, pre-fees was 14.5% over a nine-year period. Um, and that was done in a very uncorrelated way. Does that sound about right? That is right. I mean, I, I suppose at Morgan Stanley, I, I got a lot of my education in, in investing and trading during the GFC period. And so during the financial crisis, we really had to focus on what was going to drive markets down as much as what was going to drive markets up. Um, and a way an example of a theme, an early theme that worked was during that 2007-8 period in, in London, we saw all those peripheral European countries, Portugal, Ireland, Greece, Spain. The pigs. The pigs, exactly. Um, started to have their, uh, their, their sovereign spreads widen quite dramatically. And you could see that the banks within those countries would struggle to fund themselves, certainly profitably, let alone the bad debts. And so we, I took a view that rather than pick one in particular, we'd shorter baskets uh, of those stocks, some Irish banks, some Greek, Spanish banks. And, and that provided not only positive returns as they went down, but it protects the portfolio. It allows you to buy some of the um, good stocks and good companies that get kicked out in the bear market. And I think that's that's a fundamental problem you see with a lot of long short funds. They're not short the right things, the things that will um, go down more than the market when it does fall. And it means they have to often kick out some of their good positions um, along with their bad ones uh, when the market when the market falls. So let's talk about some of your themes that you've got at the moment within the portfolio. Um, I think one of them uh, might be on sort of Amazon or companies being Amazon. Can you talk a little bit about that, please? Sure. I mean, there's some very fundamental um, themes behind the portfolio. One of them is that, uh, of course, you know, millennials are going to become more and more a, a part of the uh, of the economy. Um, mm -hmm. They'll be the dominant uh, group in terms of workers and consumers in, in a very short space of time. Um, these are a group of people that have been born with a smartphone in their hand, um, are used to shopping online, don't often need need or even want to talk to people. That is the Amazon generation. Um, Amazon itself as a company and those like it, for example, Alibaba, are very busy trying to, um, to work out which areas of the economy they can get into. So being long Amazon um, and some of its peers has against the companies that it disrupts has been a core part of the portfolio and quite a successful part of the portfolio. So for example, you could look at traditional bricks and mortar retailers. We've mm -hmm. seen, for example, some of what's happened to some of the department stores here in Australia and globally. Uh, so it's been less pronounced in Australia. And I think this is where mm. for Australian investors, they struggle a little bit because, mm. um, you know, on, on some of the trips I've been to the US and some of the visits we've made to some of our managers, you know, you literally walk out of hotels and you see trucks just delivering Amazon, mm. you know, endless supply of boxes being left on people's doorsteps um, and a huge disruption. And then you see them come to Australia, what, a, a year ago now, um, and Prime, and I know I subscribed and, and then cancelled my subscription three months later. So a lot of people in Australia sort of saying, well, are they going to work in Australia, the geography, small population, you know, you might say JB Hi-Fi is a prime target for someone like Amazon to be disrupted. Um, but I'm interested to see you know, your thoughts, whether that's a, a global position versus Australia and maybe some comments around that. 
Yeah, interestingly, I mean, and that is a fair comment. I mean, Amazon has uh, been slow in Australia relative to the US. Uh, my brother-in-law lives in Silicon Valley yeah. and he uses Amazon Prime. And to give an example, his, uh, his daughter will finish reading book seven of a series and she has finished, he'll um, click his phone and book eight will be on the doorstep in an hour or two. Um, so people that have got used to it and the efficiency of the delivery in, in the US are not going back. Mm-hmm. Um, in Australia, the adoption has been, been slower. Um, and for example, one area where it's more generically appropriate is actually through being short some of the shopping mall REITs, um, mm-hmm. such as uh, centre group and vicinity centres. Uh, where So there's a reason why the Lowy family sold out of Westfield? Um, there seems to be, in, in hindsight, definitely um, a reason why shopping centres, and you've seen that now, you see rental yields and, and values of of retail property falling in Australia now. So is that Amazon? Is it not? Could be a variety of things, but certainly Amazon is and, having some... And what are some of the other examples of big losers out of that change in that trend? Because one of the things is, is does this include things that like millennials I'm hearing are less conscious on the assets and uh, you know the, the, the large house and the home and the car and they're much more into experiences, for instance. Is that the sort of thing you're looking to leverage through that strategy? Definitely. So, I mean, the, one of the theme, core themes of the portfolio is, is the consumer, particularly the younger consumer's preference of experiences over goods. So when apartment blocks are being built in cities like Melbourne, you're finding there's not one parking spot for every apartment now because people are not going to own cars. Um, the rate of, of, uh, of young um, people getting driver's licenses is, is falling quite dramatically. Really? Um, in Australia? In Australia. Yeah, we're already seeing that uh, and we're seeing that globally. And car ownership will fall. Uh, there's anecdotes about families that have had, say, three cars. There's mum, dad and two teenagers, for example, that are moving to two cars and an Uber. And so I think the, and if you look at the way potentially a millennial or a teenager even lives, it's through their smartphone, it's documenting on Instagram their experiences. And the millennials theme we've had, for example, has had companies like Live Nation in it. Live Nation's a US company, it owns Ticketmaster. It organizes tours for Taylor Swift, um, all the big, big pop groups. And this is what kids, what people want to do. They want to go to a live concert. Uh, they might fly there, they might stay in a hotel, uh, and they'll certainly Instagram and document it to make their, uh, their friends jealous. But that's the way, but they don't need to own the car and the house, certainly not now. Um, Interesting. Mm. Uh, Another theme I think that you have is around health. Can you talk a little bit about that, where you are uh, short things that are unhealthy? I, I think I've seen a suggestion of Coca-Cola and high sugar and fats and things like that, and then uh, long, healthy things. Can you talk a little bit more about your thinking and how you're investing in that theme? Yeah, one of the um, best performing themes in the portfolio has been um, long health and short unhealth, to put it in the most simplest of terms. The portfolios had some of the, the leading Aussie healthcare companies like um, CSL and ResMed in it. Uh, we're all living longer, we all want to live longer, and with that comes much higher degree of expenditure on healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can all relate to that. At the same time, to fund this healthcare, governments need to start taxing 
bad things more. Mm -hmm. So you still get that uh, that taxation. We've seen that on um, on tobacco. soft drinks, in, yeah, tobacco, alcohol, soft drinks, and uh, and people are becoming a lot more health conscious. You know, there's excess of uh, of uh, some of the uh, meat substitute companies, for example, has, uh, has has raised a few eyebrows. But also, you know, smoking rates in the U.S. are now falling um, double digits. Per annum, and and even Trump has recently had a few words to say about Juul, about vaping, uh, which is what Philip Morris, for example, was hanging its hat on as being the next um, the next story in the uh, in the nicotine nicotine cycle. So, you know, companies like Japan Tobacco, um, Philip Morris have derated and continue to derate, and and you can see their industries in decline. And one of the themes I think you have on at the moment that seems very topical and timing-wise is around Hong Kong and China and the question of Hong Kong's sovereignty over China. Um, I guess you'll talk a little bit about that, but it also makes me think about how long these themes last within the, the portfolio and how, how easy it is to keep identifying them. Mm. Good question. Look, I mean, Hong Kong, China is is a classic sort of geopolitical theme in the portfolio. It's it's when I'm looking for what can potentially drag markets down, it would be some kind of Chinese intervention in the Hong Kong situation. I think if the um, if the People's Liberation Army rolled into Hong Kong because the level of protest or violence had got too high, it would cause a big shock not into that market, but potentially have some reverberations globally. The US is already uh, muttering about uh, you know, the Hong Kong's Charter of Independence um, and, and various other comments. So for me, that is a classic way to, to, to hedge the portfolio in as much as if something um, were to try, drag markets down, that would be it. So are they mainly short positions you have there or yeah. can you identify any winners out of that sort of scenario? Well, there are winners. I mean, the winners would be um, potentially Singapore um, as, a, as an office um, investment, so some of the Singapore um, property companies. Okay, so all the global headquarters move their Asian headquarters mm. from Hong Kong across to Singapore. Mm. Okay, there's one benefit. Um, potentially some of the um, um, Chinese airlines, as people uh, would travel internally more within China rather than go to Hong Kong. Uh, but predominantly, it is it is one where it's got some short positions in property developers and some retailers. I was in Hong Kong last week and, you know, retail sales uh, and restaurant revenues are down sort of 30 to 40% in a lot of places. Um, there's a restaurant closing every day in Hong Kong at the moment. And there's no doubt whether there is some cessation of the, the protests that there's going to be some longer term effects on the confidence that businesses have in, in investing in, in Hong Kong. And, and how long do you expect most of these themes to be in place within the portfolio? Well, the themes, I mean, are fairly dynamic. So, you know, particularly the short themes, if there is um, an event like we mentioned in Hong Kong and those stocks fall, then I will buy back some of those positions, uh, maybe all of them, if, if it really does look like it's an undershoot. Uh, and if China gives into all five of the protesters' demands, which I think is probably fairly unlikely, um, then we will get a, a squeeze and that that part of the portfolio will, will underperform. Um, but 
I actually think with that particular one, it's more of a, a, a dragging sort of longer term um, risk process. Yeah. yeah. Well, Martin, thank you. That's been uh, really interesting, and I think that'll give our listeners a really good insight into the way you manage the market neutral fund. I really appreciate your time, and thanks for joining us on Inside the Rope. Great to be here. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.